Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Booze, Booms and Busts. My name is Boaz Shoshan and I'm joined today as ever by Sam Valkering. Sam, it has been an incredibly stormy week uh, here in London and uh, from what I understand throughout the rest of the UK. You've been getting any, uh, any thunder and lightning over there? Oh yeah, man. We've had plenty of lightning. There's been a lot of lot of lightning action up here. I spent a couple of hours the other night just with the, the curtains drawn wide open and just literally watching the light. It was like a, a paparazzi was was sitting on our um, <laughs> bedroom bedroom balcony and it was just literally snapping shots of me um, half buck naked um, watching the lightning show go out. So that yeah, was fun times. The cat, the cat and the dog shit themselves, but uh, I enjoyed it. Oh, well, that, that's good. As uh, you know, it's been really interesting um, here where, you know, I've never like I've never seen lightning from so far away, actually, from where I am here in London, where, uh, you know, you see the flash and then you don't hear any thunder for like a minute. Um, pretty, pretty wild. But there's been some crazy rain. And, uh, you know, back home in Aberdeen, uh, there's been some flooding even uh, yeah. from uh, due to an awful lot of torrential rain and le- leading to some rather uh, some pretty crazy sites where, you know, parks that I used to play around with when I was a kid are now uh, completely submerged or, or very much submerged and there are cars floating around and stuff. Water parks. <laughs> water, park, water parks in Aberdeen, who would have thunk it? Duthy Park, mate. That's, uh, that's uh, a childhood gem. Don't, uh, don't tread on it. But anyway, um, in terms of uh, the, you know, the, the, the wildness that's been going on financial markets this, this week, there's been an awful lot of uh, thunder and lightning going on there as well. Mm. Uh, and also, as this is uh, our 10th episode, we are going to be doing something slightly different in terms of uh, expanding our range of, uh, of beer consumption that we're going to have in this, in this episode. So we're actually going to do four beers today. We're going to do two, be- two different beers each. Uh, just in order to expand it for for the tent, we'll probably go back to our, our normal schedule. But Sam, what are you drinking today? So I've got I've got two with me today. Uh, one is called Packets, which is a Keller Lager from the Howling Hops Brewery in Hackney Wick. Uh, it's four point two percent ABV. Uh, first taste of it is very much a pretty traditional, typical lager. Tastes. It tastes pretty light. I'd almost call it a light beer, to be fair. Um, but it's pretty crisp, which is what I want from a lager. I like a crisp, kind of sharp lager, so that when it's cold, it kind of knocks the any heat that exists with inside you out of your system. Uh, so mm. off to a good start so far. Oh, very good, very good. Uh, over here, I'm drinking a uh, Simcoe Cascade Pale Ale by Wild Horse Brewing Company, which has the quite exciting name of Scorched Earth. And it's uh, got a very, uh, very cool illustration on the front. We've got a, uh, a castle that is being uh, nuked, it would appear, uh, from, uh, or at least uh, it's, it's being torched to some degree. It didn't really show how, how this is coming to occur, but it's very, uh, very exciting. And this is from Wild Horse Brewing Company. It's 4.2%. Uh, very hoppy indeed, as you would imagine from the name with the, uh, with the Simcoe, etc. Uh, but this brewery actually is, uh, oh yeah, oh, this is actually in Landudna, in, uh, this is in Wales. Uh, hmm. So this is, uh, yeah, another Welsh brewery. We've had a couple of those uh, on this podcast before. Uh, but Sam, in terms of, uh, sort of opening it out and opening out our discussion, uh, you've been transfixed recently over the last week when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the financial markets in the, uh, well, the, it's, it's been in the sector for a while, but it's really started to explode in a big time uh, in recent days, right? The, uh, the DeFi sector or decentralized finance, right? Yeah, it's in, in, in the crypto markets, like most people are sort of uh, 
kind of understand that crypto markets are pretty wild. I mean, to be fair, so are stock markets uh, at the moment as well. But crypto markets are sort of they're becoming their own own beast, and and within the beast is uh, now small other small little beasts that are just going bonkers. And the DeFi space is just off the hook at the moment. And like you said, it stands for sort of decentralized finance because what it's effectively doing is all the things that you can do in the normal financial system, like borrowing and lending, providing collateral for those sorts of things, synthetic um, derivatives. Uh, all those, all these sorts of financial instruments that we've known in the traditional system are now kind of being replicated in a decentralized manner uh, in the crypto world so that you can use cryptocurrency to, to effectively uh, deposit or, or supply into liquidity pools. Uh, they can then be uh, borrowed against and you can get a return, an interest rate return on those. You can borrow funds. You can lend out funds. You can get varying uh, interest rates on those, um, and it's it's creating this ecosystem of where there are opportunities for arbitrage um, between different rates of different providers and different lenders, and and it's creating um, a bit of a I'd, I'd go so far to say a bit of a bubble in 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 the DeFi space because some of these DeFi projects have their own cryptocurrency as well as um, being able to provide like synthetic versions of Bitcoin or Ethereum or other cryptocurrencies. Um, some are governance tokens. Some have a, have a sort of a mechanism, a staking mechanism in, in, in the, their blockchain. But the values of these things are like popping off left, right and center. And it, it's, it's akin to what we saw in 2016, what we saw in 2017, just, just mayhem. And I was like, I, I don't really, to be fair, understand the space completely yet, which is saying something because I've been involved with crypto for like a decade now. Um, but there's, there's like, you, you know, we were talking uh, just off, off uh, recording before about yield farming, where you can sort of stack different yields and earn different tokens for it. And then there are values that are going up and you can then sell these back to the market and repeat and rinse. And there are these convoluted complex strategies, but like, some of the crypto projects that are in this DeFi space, the values are just skyrocketing. I was like, I need to, I need to understand what this is about. I tried staking some USDC the other day into the cream finance uh, pool. But then when I went to do it, it was going to cost me like $20 in Ethereum gas tokens to well, in, in Ethereum in gas just to do one transaction. And I was only trying to stake like 60, 60 USDTC. So I was effectively going to pay $10 to put 60 into this liquidity pool. I was, and then, and then at that, it was going to take maybe like two hours to confirm it on Ethereum. So I didn't end up doing it. And, and I, it's, it's got, it's so nuts, right? Because now all of a sudden Ethereum's slow, it's expensive. And you can't get anything done. So the, the Ethereum blockchains effectively come to a bloody grinding halt as well. And it's just bonkers, man. It's, it's just, it's, it's doing my head in and I can't quite get my finger on what, whether it's good, bad or horrifically ugly at the moment. Right. I mean, uh, if you didn't know uh, much about crypto, uh, I think I think understanding maybe even half of what you just said might be uh, might be a bit tricky. 
Um, but I think we, so if we wind it back a bit and kind of put some a bit of color, a bit of context on, on the scene. Um, so DeFi, decentralized finance. I mean, the ultimately the uh, the goal of these projects is to make the financial system uh, and the plumbing of the financial system uh, more efficient and less centralized and yeah. ultimately safer and more uh, sort of more democratic in a way or at least with fewer barriers to entry less monopolization um and less uh, yeah less sort of uh, less centralized ultimately in terms of the number of players uh, and who can access it things like that and you know we've discussed uh, you know previously uh, you you and me sam have, uh, have talked a lot an awful lot uh, on the on the very interesting dysfunctions that exist in uh, normal financial markets now mm. which everyone just takes as normal and yet considering the level of technological development we've got out there it seems very strange so the idea that you can't trade a stock at night still I, seems that does my head in that silly right yeah uh, well absolutely. see it just seems it seems so it seems so strange when i think about it you know in the the hong kong stock exchange where they uh, they shut for two hours at lunchtime and so you yeah. just can't trade stocks for those two hours on in hong kong uh, so the idea ultimately if you if you plug all of that into the internet and the internet's all night um you know you can yeah you know this is this is going to make the volume of trading much higher the liquidity ultimately should be more higher or at least you know the uh, the liquidity that you can access uh, constantly through the day much higher uh, and should lead to more efficient financial markets um and there of course there and this is just, that's just one sector because that's where you're just talking about time zones and you're talking about opening and shutting but there are there are all manner of things i mean i remember um you know, this was uh, this would have been back in 2017, actually, but midway through 2017, uh, where I was speaking to a man who uh, you know used to work in uh, commodities in the commodities market, and he had, had discovered uh, Bitcoin in the sort of late late 2000s, you know, very very early on, and uh, you know in the 2009 kind of period, and uh, since then was making a um, he was making a platform to trade gold. Uh, but through, but in a, on, in a decentralized uh, fashion, it was so it was using a, a blockchain blockchain technology to settle. It was it was, it was mostly about the settlement. So it was after at the end of a day when you know all of the trades need to be netted off, and the you know the the amount that's owned by one person needs to be uh, you know allocated and taken from another person, etc. Things like that. He was trying to make a platform that was just going to make this much more. Uh, efficient without requiring some major mainframe somewhere or some major exchange somewhere that everybody relies upon. And I remember speaking to him about clearing counterparties, and these are known as CCPs, not mm. co uh, Chinese Communist parties, <laughs> uh, but clearing counterparties. And you know they're incredibly boring in terms of what they do, where they're effectively just one gigantic back office for all the financial markets. So they're huge institutions. Uh, they make an awful lot in fees, uh, and because they are, you know, this this. Uh, sort of crucial backbone for everything. And I remember asking about them and asking about how uh, you know effectively decentralized finance was going to take on these things. And this guy was is, you know very much financial markets veteran. And I, I you know I can't I, I can't forget just how suddenly utterly dismissive he was over 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 these institutions. He was like, oh they're done. Like they're, this <laughs> is it. They are they're done. They're they're, they're just the past. And that was in 2017. These guys are obviously still around. Yeah. Uh, but him seeing that potential in decentralized finance, this internet technology, you know, digital technology, 
uh, and through things like blockchain and, uh, and other uh, network systems like that, he had convinced him so much that these, what were, you know, the bastions of the financial market were, 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 were history, you know, they were going to die. Um, and it seems like, you know, that's always been a goal of, uh, of uh, you know, the, the digital asset space. Uh, it's been there for a while, you know, it started with Bitcoin, but then it's like, you know, we're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, you're going to be able to spend stocks like their money because everyone's just going to have them in their wallets and stuff, things like that. You know, it's always been a goal, but we've yet to really see it get rolled out in a big way. And I'm wondering yeah. what this sudden surge in DeFi, as it's called, it really means. Um, where do you think, uh, I mean, where do you think this is getting, this is heading in a, on the medium term, right? So you're thinking it's pretty frothy right now. Yeah, what do yeah. You, uh, do you think... Yeah, I mean, how, how do you think it's going to turn out in the medium term? Yeah, look, I, th- I think I think you're you're right in terms of it's. Well, I think it's. I think this is the start of something much much bigger. So yeah, it's kind of frothy and everything right now, but it's sowing the seeds for a, I think a, a, a sort of a base layer of DeFi um, that's going to really set the course for everything that you've sort of just talked about. Like you said, you know. When you when you think about buying and selling a stock, it's it's not a difficult thing, right? You've got a seller, and you've got a buyer, and then you just need to match them together at an at, at an agreed price, effectively. And when you've, you're dealing in you know millions of stocks and millions or thousands of hundreds of thousands of buyers and sellers, you just need an effective system to match the buyers and sellers. And then the only other real thing that's necessary is to then ensure that there's legal transfer of ownership from the seller to the buyer and that that's recorded somewhere. So when we talk about that as, I mean, that's how, that's how a stock, that's how a buying and selling a stock works. It's just a transfer of ownership at an agreed price. That doesn't need to be a complex thing, but it, it has become a complex thing because of registries and, um, uh, external third parties and brokers that and and providing custodians. access to markets and custodians and all these different players in the traditional financial system have just caused all this friction, all this cost, and they've taken what used to be a simple process, made it complex and convoluted, and so now that the barriers to entry for the average person are actually pretty high, and people will often say to me, they go, oh. I don't want to get involved in crypto because it's so hard to set up an account somewhere. I'm like, well, it's not, it's no harder than setting up a goddamn account with a stockbroker. Um, and so I think that's certainly one of the things that it, it's definitely, definitely going to change. All that needs to be done is to ensure that there is an effective smart contract that can, um, you know, transfer that, that ownership of, of stock from seller to buyer. Um, and and then have it recorded in a company's share registry. And the, the blockchain technology, distributed ledger technology, is just ideal for that and to do it at low cost. So that's just that's like just one aspect of it. But I think that doesn't come unless you've got the financial and the human capital in the space to kind of build that system out. You know, uh, the New York Stock Exchange isn't necessarily going to build that out for an open open source free market because they've got vested interests. So it's not in their interest to do it. The London mm. Stock Exchange and or the Australian Stock Exchange, they're not, I mean, they're all talking about using DLT, but they're talking about using distributed ledger technology and blockchain technology for their own company. 
you know, it, it, it's just taking new technology and applying it to their existing centralized way and to build out a new network for that to happen requires human and financial capital that only comes with these sorts of bubbles that bring a lot of interest and a lot of money into the space. And that's, that's kind of what happened in 2013 for a little bit, definitely in 2017 with the wider crypto bubble is that, what it actually did, the, the, the benefit of that was it brought so many more people into the space for development, whether it be engineers or programmers or even just venture capitalists and VC money to, to help these sorts of things build out. And since 2017, the actual techno, technological progress in cryptocurrency has been astronomical. That's why we've got something like all these DeFi projects now is because of what happened in 2017. And so you kind of think about each one of these waves or these cycles is just building a bigger, stronger foundation on top of the other to give us this base for when we, which we sort of can launch into proper decentralized finance or decentralized networks uh, that, that are effective and that are safer um, and that are cheaper and, and lower that, that barrier to entry for, for everybody to get involved with. So, you know, when you, when you talk about medium and long term, what's happening now is, is a bit crazy and, 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 you know, you can get your fingers burnt pretty hard if you don't really know how to navigate the space well. But I think the long story here is a real, it's a, it's a genuine alternative financial system. And we've been saying that for a while, but people don't really buy into it until they start to get their head around the kind of development that we're seeing now. And the fact that you can go and deposit a, a, a stable coin, for instance, and you can earn, you know, two or three percent on that stable coin, which you'll never get in your bank account. And the question, the, the only question then, if you're trying to, if you're a depositor and you're wanting to earn interest, is is where is the where's the safety line there? Where where's the trust? And, and we've got to get comfortable with that idea of trusting this system and knowing that if I'm going to put a hundred quids worth of stable coin into a deposit and it's going to earn me two and a half percent or something, I need to be able to be confident enough to know that at any point I can withdraw that. And I've got, I've got my money there for me to use. Yeah. Cause the, the state isn't going to back you up and uh, knock the door down and uh, ensure yeah. that. Ensure that they and that's that transition because the state has always kind of backed the banks to provide that safety net for the deposits. Well, actually not always, but certainly more recently they've, they've provided, you know, the guarantee the, uh, on, on capital in the banks because of what happened in 2008. And so there's an element of trust there that's hard to shake because of, you know, a century plus long system where we've only known that for, for our money and for our trust. And so this, you know, this sexy new sort of looking system comes along and everyone's like, Oh, that looks good. But I don't trust it as much as my good old reliable <laughs> workhorse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the same time, uh, you know, the, when it comes to trust, I don't think we've seen smart contracts, uh, you know, these uh, contracts which don't require a you know police force ultimately to enforce that don't require a you know a, a legal system as we have it to enforce i mean this is what makes them uh, so so uh, so uh, disruptive and, and quite revolutionary ultimately 
we've not seen those be tested really in a really big way, except when it comes to mistakes. So it's only mm. when these crypto projects like Ethereum make mistakes with smart contracts that allows somebody to effectively digitally completely legally screw over the project to then enrich themselves. That's when we say, oh, what actually happens here? You know, it's a big experiment because we've not seen We've not seen uh, these things be tested before. And so when it comes to trust, you need to ensure that these smart contracts that you are going to be putting your wealth in and putting your trust, you know, your, own, your own cash in ultimately, um, you know, let alone the fact that some crypto projects are scams. So you, know, you, know, you, need to, you need to get over that as well and make sure that you are trusting the right kind of project. But the trusting that contract to execute in a way, the idea that you're not putting your faith in an institution you're not putting your faith in uh, you know, a government-approved body. You're not putting your faith in you know, even a brick-and-mortar bank that you could walk into. There's not even a building for these things. The idea that you put your trust then into uh, a smart contract, which is a piece of code. Most people don't read code. Uh, that, that, you know, it's, a big, it's a big gap to get. I think for youngsters, this is a very easy thing to do. Uh, yeah. Because you know they're, they're brought up with it, but if you're older than that, uh, then it, it's going to be harder. And of course, it's the old generation who have so much of the money. So this is why you know, the, there are going to be a lot of problems here. I think there's uh, there's so many avenues we can kind of go down with this. The that because you know how you're talking about uh, each time we've had these cycles, it's built upon a foundation. Right? It's 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 every time there is a level up. So with every time, all these booms and bust cycles ultimately, because many, many of these projects fail. The ones that survive are the very interesting ones. Um, but every time there are those boom and bust cycles, that there is uh, some kind of advancement in mm. the skill level and in, in foundation. Now that was, I remember some people despairing after 2017 who were, during the 2018 bear, were saying, I can't see what we've gotten out of this in terms of the actual development that's been brought to the space. Loads of money has been thrown in, huge amounts of money. And at the end of it, what do we really have to show for it now that it's busted? Because of course, you know, with the internet boom, you got fiber optic cable networks, well not fiber optic, but you got internet uh, infrastructure laid out big time across lots of developed markets, uber, uber cheap. You know, the, the, cost of the, uh, the cost of doing that after the bust was incredibly cheap, so it allowed for further rollout. Um, and so, you know, you, the, you got people who say, you know, bubbles are good. Now, I kind of question bubbles are good because I think, um, I, personally to me, you, you always need to know what the counterfactual is, so what would have happened if the bubble hadn't happened? Uh, but you get people who say bubbles are good. So if we, you know, we take that, okay, bubbles are good. There were people after 2017 who were saying, was this bubble good? Because what have we actually managed to do with all of this money other than the people who were ahead of the game getting really, really rich off it? Um, so interestingly, we've got, so Ethereum seems is the layer that is being used here that's been built on for these DeFi projects, right? So uh, and, and it's been very interesting listening to you about uh, the, the strange things that have been going on in Ethereum, sort of the engine of this decentralized finance space, uh, in, in recent weeks, as a result of this DeFi issue, um, you talking about how uh, you, know, you wanted to deposit effectively six, $60 worth of, uh, or six pounds worth of a, of a stable coin uh, into, a, into a liquidity pool to earn a bit of interest, uh, and yet you couldn't actually send it unless you spent $20 in gas fees. So uh, for anyone listening who's not, who's not familiar, Ethereum works slightly differently from Bitcoin in that it has a, there's a component within it called gas. 
And so you can, uh, within Ethereum, if you want to send uh, Ethereum around, you want to send ETH around, you need to spend a bit of your own Ethereum as a gas fee, just like a fuel fee or a fuel fare. Uh, but you can actually choose how much gas you spend. Uh, and with the less gas you uh, that you put in, then the, then the slower it, it is put in the priority chain for the, for the blockchain to process. And the higher you put it, uh, the faster it goes there. Uh, but in this case, I mean, gas prices in general, uh, if you want to get anything done, you need to spend a huge amount of money. So it's almost like there's a there's a there's an energy crisis, you know, there's a fuel crisis going on within this part of the blockchain. Can you expand Absolutely. on what that what what is going on there, Sam, that is causing all of this? Yeah. So the problem with Ethereum at the moment, right, is that the technology behind it's only able to process a certain amount of transactions per second. And so the problem that always was going to be faced by Ethereum, and this is faced by Bitcoin as well, is that if you have so many users on the network trying to do one thing, you're effectively just going to keep causing a, a, a giant queue, a massive backlog. And it's a bit like it's a bit like when you're at a at a concert or a sporting event, and it's all over and everyone's trying to leave at once, but they're all trying to leave through one door. You just end up with a giant backlog and traffic jam, and it takes way longer to get out than if there were, you know, a hundred doors for everybody to walk through. So what's happening right now in Ethereum is just that the backlog is so big because it can't process all these transactions per second. So there's this huge, huge increase in interest and demand for people making transactions into the DeFi space. But because uh, there's so many, the network automatically sort of, and, and the people trying to push through the transactions, keep adding higher amounts to the, to the gas fee, to the transaction fees, so that they can get them done. And effectively, it's like a bidding war for getting your transaction done before everyone else and if you're not prepared to spend quite a lot amount of money in gas and transaction fees then you're just not your transactions aren't going to get through so it all of a sudden becomes a, a a weird situation where those with the money are the only ones that can actually move the money which then all of a sudden becomes a lot like the existing financial system that we've right. got in the first place and so the thing that worries me is that some of these DeFi projects are just taking what we've got in the existing financial system and just chucking it onto blockchain technology. I think that's going to change because Ethereum for a start is, 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 is scheduled or supposed to be upgrading so that it can process thousands of transactions per second. But not just that, because this is a problem, there are other projects that have developed blockchains that can process these sorts of transactions way faster. And I'm talking like 10,000, 100,000. There are some that are even said to be able to do a million transactions per second. And to give you some sort of comparison, I think, I think it was Visa had a maximum transactions per second once of something like, I think it was like 20,000 or something, something stupid like that. Um, and so that's the kind of network infrastructure that you that you compete with. Something like Visa or Mastercard. You know, when you go and pay for something with your Visa or your Mastercard, bosh, it's done instantly. Yeah, and if if everyone went, you know, the, just the, the, the sheer mathematics of of where everybody exists and lives and how things are paid for in time zones, you know, not not seven billion people in the world aren't just going to go bosh all at once on Visa. But if it did, you know, there'd be a backlog of those transactions, and that some would take a while to process. But roughly that's, you know, a couple of tens of thousands of transactions per second is more than enough for the world to deal with an effective and fast system. 
So if we're talking hundreds of thousands or, or even a million transactions per second on some of these blockchains, I expect DeFi or some of these decentralized finance projects to shift blockchains because that's how you democratize the space better. That's how you make a more effective system is by when there's a problem with something, somebody usually has a better solution in the crypto world, which is why when you said before, it's a you know, bit of an experiment. It's so, it's so young and so early. It's only really, a, you know, maybe five, Ethereum's only five years old. And some of these other projects and blockchains are even younger. So it's just so early doors with it all that the speed at which these things can be built and tested and tried and, and actual value created, it's astonishing really when you think about it. And I don't think we've really ever seen anything move so quickly um, ever before. I'd, I'd dare to say even the internet hasn't moved this quickly. Even maybe the app economy and the explosion of that is, is probably relevant or, or right. close, close to the same sort of pace, I think. Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah. It's just interesting. It is. I, I remember. Um, I remember we, I was speaking with Charlie Morris, and, the, and this was also back in 2017, early 2017, before the before the big boom, uh, where he was. Uh, we were discussing. You know, he was bringing up Visa, and we were, okay, there was a comparison between Visa and Bitcoin. Where Visa, and he described you know, Visa as a as a Ferrari in terms of the number of transactions that it can do. Uh, and I and I said, well, Bitcoin's like a tank in a way, just because it's you know, really slow. <laughs> But the the reliability of the transactions is so great, you know, so it's so robust uh, for the little, the few transactions that it can do. Um, and it is interesting to hear that with Ethereum because uh, I've all I've I've always favoured Bitcoin over Ethereum. Uh, ultimately, they are trying to do different things, uh, yeah. but Bitcoin's never been uh, had the weakness um, of its own code being exploited in such a way. Uh, as 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 that happened with in uh, in twenty sixteen with the uh, with Ethereum and Ethereum Classic and everything like that. But anyway, Sam, we should probably uh, I don't know about you, but it's it's still humid as hell here. Yeah, in it's gotten way more humid here as well. The the sun's out and it had been overcast and cool all day, and I'm like, oh dear, it's going to be several beers after we're done with this podcast. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I've raced through scorched earth. Uh, do you want to give me your review of uh, of the beer you were drinking? Sounds like an ultra marathon. I've raced through the scorched earth. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so the, the Kellett's, uh, no, sorry, the, the Packets Keller Lager. I'll get my words right. It was only 4.2%, so I can't be drunk. Uh, the Packets Keller Lager. So that was, that was, look, that was nice. That was pretty inoffensive. That was as a very typical lager. The thing with lagers um, is I find that sometimes you can get sort of to the end of them and they start to get a little bit tinny. Um, right. almost metallic tasting sometimes, or at least the bad ones can. It's like if you drink um, six Fosters in a row, by the time you sort of get to the fourth one, you're kind of like, I'm not sure if I'm having a brain uh, the clot or uh, aneurysm or if this is just really bad beer. Or if you um, had that already, which made you decide to drink six Fosters in a row. Well, yeah, well, you know, just sometimes, sometimes you're not given much choice. <laughs> but look i enjoyed it it was it was okay it, it, again it's a pretty light beer to be honest it's pretty light which with lagers can tend to be like that but it was refreshing nonetheless and, and pretty consistent and that was the thing it was consistent the whole way through so um i enjoyed it there's nothing to write home about um so i think i'd give that a b just a solid b yeah i think for uh 
or Scorched Earth, the Simcoe Cascade Pale Ale by Wild Horse Brewing. Uh, very refreshing, I must say. I would uh, definitely drink uh, a couple more of that, especially in this kind of environment. Uh, it does taste stronger than it actually is. It's only 4.2%, but it does taste stronger than that. It uh, might have something to do with the quite strong hot flavor, but just in general, it does taste a bit heavier. Just Despite the taste, though, it does, it's still quite light. Uh, so I think I would give this a B plus overall. It's uh, yeah, and I would recommend it. Wild Horse Brewing Company, uh, Scorched Earth, a very cool label as well. If you're if you're into that kind of thing, what is it your your uh, your second one that you're on now, Sam? So I've moved on now to the Known Unknown from the Track Brewing Co., which is a seven point two percent IPA, and uh, again it's got a pretty funky. It's like a cool chrome tin with a kind of funky label on it. Uh, it's quite cool and yeah it's got an interesting hmm almost uh earthy kind of smell to it this one oh, and you've got uh, a full pint of that yeah uh almost it's almost a full pint it's a standard 440 mil but i'm not sure about this one yet i've mm. uh, i'll I've have to come back to you on it yeah initial tastes not uh not ideal <laughs> oh, oh dear! Oh dear! I've uh, I've moved on to uh, my second one here, which is uh, which is called "What Are Your Overheads," uh, which is a double IPA. Uh, this is by Pomona Island. It's a very cool, uh, very cool label. Nice cream, you know, that matte cream, uh, matte cream label. But it's got a Concord, oh, uh, Concord, on the front. And uh, yeah, it's a good question. What are your overheads, Sam? Eh? I think we can ask that question an awful lot of uh, a lot of these a lot of these crypto. A lot of the airlines <laughs> and the crypto yeah. <laughs> crypto crypto overheads and next to nothing. It's just a matter of, of the value of the crypto that they're holding. That uh, oh, I don't know, man. What about what about the parties that they that they that they throw to true. attract investors? That's true. The grand conferences, you know, Bitcoin. Like yachts don't come cheap. <laughs> Do you remember Bitconnect? Remember the uh, those those incredible presentations that they gave. Oh man, you're right. So like some of these things are just utter scams. I think that's probably the other thing, right? Is that, but you know, you, it's 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 tough. You want you know crypt, the the crypto markets and decentralized markets. Like we say, you know, the ultimate goal is to break down barriers uh, of entry for for people, so that all people have got access to to finance and and got access to tools to to build wealth or to, to access it that maybe they don't have in the legacy system, but it's a fine line that we walk because as well, there's a lot of people out there that will just abuse this system to try and rip people off. Well, it's human which nature. Is, yeah, which is human nature. And, you know, we're often our, worst, our own worst enemy and that happens all the time in the traditional financial system. You know, it was like, like the old boiler room scams and things like that, or, or just outright, you know, corporate frauds, you know, which we've even, you know, we've seen this year with what, with Wirecard and, you know, I, it, it, it's one thing to say that crypto markets are scammy and risky and stuff. So are traditional markets. The whole world is scammy and risky. You know, you, those dudes that rock up on your doorstep pretending to be from a charity with a backpack full of gear that they've nicked from, you know, the local uh, Dunelm or whatever. It's, you know, the whole world's risky and scammy. So you've just got to be smart no matter what market you're operating in, I think, and be, be, be smart enough to realize when something maybe does look too good, that it is too good, and to just get access to good knowledge and information. And you can pilot your way through these things, 
Um, it's hard to do it on your own if you haven't got the knowledge and, and time and resources to do it, which is why you need to have, you know, some quality, you know, quality people or information in your, in your pocket, in your corner, trying to help you navigate through because otherwise, you know, you do open yourself up for risk and for, for, you know, people to try and take advantage of you. So, you know, we always encourage, and even, you know, you, you can, you can write to us, tweet us at uh, booze, booms, busts. If there's, know something uh you know that you're unsure of and you want to you know run it by because you know we've seen our way around markets for quite a while and you know pretty i think i'm pretty comfortable in being able to identify and spot a scam um and you know you just want to help help people avoid those sorts of pitfalls in all kinds of markets i think so yeah it's uh crypto is risky it's scary there's a lot of crazy shit going on right now as there is in the in the in the bigger market too you know yeah yeah i mean there is uh yeah, there is always there is always that. Uh, the way I always describe it is, uh, is crypto is still the wild west. I mean, there's treasure out there, yeah, but you really need to, uh, you know, if the, if there if there was a way of carrying a uh, carrying a revolver in a holster as you as you were walking around, you'd probably want to do it. Um, I think in you know even in uh, so you know I've got a I've got a uh, um, a, uh, a I, I'm persuaded. <laughs> I have a, I have a, a persuasion for uh, precious metals, but you know, even in that space, there's, but, there's, but even though when you're trying to go for, you know, real money, hard money, you'll still find people on there who are, you know, trying to sell, you know, crazily overvalued coins. Uh, well, what to, about that? Um, the Chinese company that well, haven't the, the Chinese company just got done for like trying to sell fake bars of gold. Yeah. Is that, was that the jewelry company that got delisted? Yeah. 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 Yeah, big, I mean, I don't. Do you know much about the story? I just kind of read a byline that said I just read the byline. Delisted fake, fake yeah. gold. Yeah, um, that's a, that's a, one of the big issues actually for uh, for the argument for gold uh, as a as a as a major to to return to the financial system in general um, is simply the fact that you know you can still you know if you spray paint bars of uh, tungsten <laughs> or even if you don't bother you spray paint bars of iron gold. Um, you can you could pass them off to yeah. to you know as gold to somebody who really didn't know what they were doing, and there are an awful lot of people who don't know what they're doing. Um, so some of the people think you know gold can't gold is going to return to the financial system in a big way. Well, the the because no country ever allows a proper audit of their own gold reserves, or very few of them do. Um, because no one allows an independent audit, they don't want anyone to look at them, or they don't even say how much they've got. Because of that, you can't trust what they have got in the first place. So it, w- it would create a, an opportunity for uh, a nation that doesn't want to bother with that uh, to simply spray paint some bars of gold, well, some bars of iron gold, or bars of anything gold. Could be, could be bar, it could just be bricks gold, uh, and say, we've got these gold reserves, so you should trust us for X, Y, and Z, and we're going to issue currency backed on it. Um, because there is not that independent auditor um, that uh, can re- can accurately assess how many of uh, how many gold bars are where and that they're all accurate, uh, it, it it makes it harder to under- to imagine a decent well to imagine a less you know a multipolar financial system where the dollar isn't everything and where you've got different spheres of. Uh, of financial influence with different mm. areas owning different amounts of gold. It becomes harder to imagine that when there could be so much deception involved in the whole thing. And it wasn't long ago uh, that HSBC had that had that big issue with um, gold bars that were actually made of tungsten. 
uh, that were be that were being passed off in the vaults. And it's like, well, how how much of that is there? Um, there was that, you know, with the with the comics, uh, comics, comics futures. Uh, Carl Bass, the head fund manager, uh, when he was getting really big into gold uh, after he after his success in the financial crisis, uh, and when he was going really negative on Greece. When they were going to buy a lot of gold, they uh, they went to the the Comex, you know, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which is uh, the gold section, which is in New York, and they wanted to see, you know, if we were to buy how much, how much, how many million pounds worth of gold or dollars worth of gold, uh, you know, well, can you show us where it all is? And so they went yeah. down into the vaults, and you know, it was all in different places. So you know, there was if you were to buy, you know, this amount, you know, they, so they I think they bought a notional amount of this stuff. Um, and it was all in they, 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 they would go to one you know stack, stack of gold bricks and say oh well this one's yours and they'd walk around to another part of the vault and then, oh this one's yours as well and they you know all that uh, and you know they don't have as much gold bars there that, that would be able to meet demand if there was suddenly a huge amount of demand uh, and so that led Carl Bass to then go and say okay I'm, I'm just gonna buy gold myself and I'm gonna have it vaulted myself this is going to be, you know, that's going to be mine. I'm going to have it all audited myself, etc. Uh, but even, you know, there's so much room for deception, fraud, things like that, that, uh, you know, it really does, um, you know, there, there is, it is very hard to escape that, uh, that, that human uh, urge to, uh, to deceive and to, uh, to, to, uh, to try and manipulate systems to a degree. But uh, just in terms of uh, what are your overheads, uh, and the overheads are very high if you want to vault gold yourself, I must say. Um, what are your overheads? This is a pretty interesting uh, double IPA, I must <laughs> say. This is 8.5%. Uh, it Ooh. does not take 8.5% though, uh, which, is, which is very good. And it's got a pretty curious description, which is, uh, what's the real cost? Ingredients? Sure, this double IPA has a huge double dry hop of cryocitra, Mosaic, Vic Secret, didn't know that was a hop, and Kazbek. But why are we still paying so much for double IPAs? Duty, man. On high ABV beers, it's all going to the man, man. Who, man? <laughs> what man? Which man? Who's the man? When's a man a man? What makes a man a man? Am I a man? Think about it. So it seems like uh, whoever was writing this was maybe uh, quite a few beers through when they actually uh, when they actually composed it but this is actually quite interesting that's as confusing as the the, the name of of mine the known unknowns yeah that's the um was that what's the george bush's defense secretary right rumsfeld yeah rumsfeld that was uh, that was his line right mm. things we know we know things we know we don't know so there are the known knowns and the known unknowns or something like that which is a which is a bit like what which is a bit like the gold market, you know, yeah. the, the, the known unknowns. We, 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 we know, we know that there is gold being held by these countries, but we don't know how much is really being held. It's the known unknowns that, that are so confusing, mm. which is like, like, you know, I, I we've, we've spoken about gold a bit the last couple of weeks, but it's such a fascinating right now. It's such a fascinating area because of this idea so i think what so what's happening at the moment is, is is in all markets the very concept of what money really is is being challenged is money that exists in our wallet you know cash money is that is that really money or is that fake money 
and because because the more of it can just go and be be printed that doesn't necessarily mean that the actual printing presses are rolling uh 24 7 and that we're all going to have a bunch more fibers coming out of the atm but then all of a sudden there's more money in the system there's more money being allocated in through different financial instruments being lent out but is that is that real money or is that just fake money you know because that doesn't again that doesn't end up necessarily in your online banking account but then is the money in your banking account we know that we operate a fractional banking system so that the money in your online banking isn't actually money either because it's more code. It's as much code as, as, as much as Bitcoin is code. And so is gold money then because it's a, it's physical, you know, it's got perceived value because of its history in terms of people, you know, accepting that it's nice to look at and has, you know, maybe some use, but it's, it's no different really to, uh, the scorched earth, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a, it's just a hunk of metal that you pull out the ground that we've attributed value to. And so, well, you know, I think it's special in that it's inert. That's the And so silver is similar. It's, it's almost, it's almost as inert as gold, but that, that ability to do nothing and to stay as not, uh, you know, to just stay as it is, I think is, is uh, so one of the main, one of the main reasons why, uh, you know, people still using it, you know, to fill fillings yeah. right um, yeah look ab absolutely and but then again it you know bitcoin is is what it is as well bitcoin is bitcoin's digitally in a you know you, you it, it, it's not going to be anything else um because it can't be anything else um it's as there's no way it could scarce. be anything else there's no way it could be anything else and so you know is is bitcoin money or is it a store of value but and i don't think anybody really has the answer and and I think that's what's so interesting right now is that we, no one really knows what money actually is, or maybe it's all of these things. And perhaps that the approach to thinking that cash money is money is the wrong approach in terms of that. Really, we should be able to pay for stuff with fragments of stocks, or we should be able to pay for it with, with Bitcoin. Well, I that's just barter. It's, it's that sort of reinventing barter, isn't it? If you were able is. to pay for things with, uh, with, you know, imagine if you were able to pay for that, pay for things with equity in your house. Because uh, I, because I was always thinking with, um, with decentralized finance, if you, if ownership, if your ownership, can be made digitally of your house, then in theory you'd be able to sell uh, shares of your house off. You'd be able yeah. to trade it and speculate it with, against your neighbor's house as well. You know, if you, if you liked their house and you thought their house was going to appreciate more in value for some reason. Then you would be able to buy if they were willing to sell it. You know, fractions of their house, yeah. uh, which uh, which would create you know such a crazy speculative boom. Um, but imagine if you were able, because people effectively do this already through equity and you know through reverse mortgages and yep. uh, you know uh, you know selling off equity in the house to do it. But this would simply cut out an awful lot of the middlemen because it's a very expensive procedure. Um, people don't really seem to realize that because they get an awful lot of money at the end of it. And that's because their house yeah. is awful, worth a lot of money to begin with. Um, but it is, it would be, you know, it does have the potential to reinvent barter in a way where you could really just trade uh, tangible assets for things that you, other tangible assets that you wanted to buy. But on the, on the topic of, uh, of uh, you know, Bitcoin and what, what, what is Bitcoin, Sam, I've got to hear your take on uh, how, uh, the Winklevoss twins mm. arriving 
at Dave Portnoy's house. Uh, cool. Well, and you know, just for, for those listening, if you're, if you're not familiar with Dave Portnoy, it's uh, quite uh, quite he's become quite the superstar within the uh, within the uh, stock trading space, certainly. Um, and as a result of uh, becoming a day uh, a day trader uh, while while in lockdown, and uh, so the Winklevoss twins have now shown up to his house to pitch him why Bitcoin is great. Uh, what do you make of it? It was brilliant. Have you seen the video? I watched the video this morning yeah. actually. That Dave Day Trader Global. Um, it's it's great, right? So, do you know what? Actually, while we're speaking about gold, the so while they were there, the Winklevoss twins started talking about asteroid mining and gold, and how Elon yep. Musk was going to fly into space and mine all the gold and bring it all down, and like sand, and it was you know gold was going to be as ubiquitous as sand, and and that it had crashed the price of gold. Which is funny because part, it's partly kind of true. There is there's believed to be gold in asteroids, but the thing they missed on that is that pretty much all the science behind it agrees that asteroid mining is useful for the production of that, those metals in space, not to return them to Earth. It's it's economically unviable to return them to Earth. The, the low high enough nature, prices, maybe maybe we can maybe, get them. But Earth, but. Yeah, it's it's about you know it's it's using those resources to create a, you know, a base station space on the economy. moon or Mars and those sorts of things. So it is, it's space economy, but nonetheless, he dropped like 250 grand into crypto. Did he actually? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So they actually, they sat with him and I think he bought, I think he bought like, I think it was like $200,000 worth of Bitcoin and like 50,000 worth of chain link. So what mm. I found super interesting, right. Is that, the 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 Winklevi have gone in there to sort of step him through um, their Gemini platform to buy Bitcoin into in in through Gemini, which he did. But they were also they also kept talking about Chainlink for some reason. And I'm my guess is that they're pretty heavily involved with Chainlink somewhere as well. You think? That, yeah, it seemed too weird. But they, they kept coming back to Chainlink. They loved talking about Chainlink. And so and it was a fifty grand extra that he put into Link, right? I think so. I, I think I think if I'm correct in in, in what I saw. No, I think I think you're right, Ben. I mean, it would it would be incredibly strange for them to pitch him Bitcoin and then not Ethereum or anything else or any of the other broader alts, but instead yeah. it goes for they didn't have some kind of. Uh, some kind of connection what's up or at least some at least at least a big big holding i would have thought i mean they so they said they they basically conferred and conferred they concurred with him when he asked them that was it true that they owned one percent of the world's bitcoin and they said yes so you know that's two hundred thousand bitcoin of roughly that they own which is a problem which is roughly about what two point two point four billion worth of bitcoin that the winkle buy own which is su substantial card um, holding members of the uh, card carrying members of the vladimir club <laughs> that's the vladimir club um so you know I, I, it was it was it's a great video right for two reasons um it they it, it shows that you that the crypto space has evolved into a place now where you can buy bitcoin or cryptocurrencies as easily as you can buy a stock and that's that's a that's a that's a reasonable step forward to where things were um you know well you could say it's even easier in that you can go to an atm you can go to a, a bitcoin atm if you're in a major city and you can buy crypto uh, it's way easier to do that than to buy a stock that is true that is true it's actually it is actually easier but the other thing is is that portnoy's got like one point 
something million followers, or it might even be more than that. Winklevi as well. So there's a there's an awareness of I guess Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies that continues to build and gather momentum, and 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 people are starting to realize now that it is there there is there's value there. I think I think it's it's, it's we've gone far too along the the journey here to think that Bitcoin is worthless because there's too many people now that believe that it has value and like any money it's just a belief system and there's enough people in in it to believe that there's value there and attributed to it and so you know i don't i can't when people say it's going to go it's going to be worthless and go back to zero just that's just not going to happen i agree that that i i I don't see that happening but i think i think it's um i think it's it's quite i think it's a fragile case if the argument is simply based on belief because uh, you know, um, there are plenty well, of people. There's, there's who, underlying, there's other underlying value pyramid schemes and the like. But yeah, I sure. mean, uh, I mean, the the I think it's more the the um, people looking for scarcity in a in a world of uh, a lot <laughs> in a world of abundant assets. Uh, yeah. Less real things. I think. Uh, I think that's going to be a big thing. I mean, do you, do you think he's going to? Because I mean, relative oh. to some of the huge money that he's been throwing around, do you think? This yeah. uh, is going to start really flying the flag for crypto. Yeah, well, I think so. So but the other thing to come out of it was it's almost certain that Portnoy is going to launch a Dave coin. Oh, so yeah. he was like, he was like, I want, he's like, Winklevi, get me in touch with some engineers. I want to, I want, I want to do a Dave coin. And, and he's just like, so I, so like people are like, well, you could do a Dave coin, you could pump it, you could cash out and make a shitload of money. I think he's probably sh- more shrewd than that because he'll become he'll be coming under the watchful eye of the SEC if he starts doing stuff like that. And so he's not completely stupid. But I wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of cryptocurrency integrated with Barstool Sports, which is the organization he co-founded. And that's where he made the bulk of his early money, right? Um, is through Barstool Sports, which is huge. It's a huge, huge yeah, big network. Platform really big platform and so i wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of barstool sports crypto maybe as some sort of utility token for people that that that, that subscribe to it or use it or, or however they are their business model functions i think and i think he'll be central towards that so you know again it it, it you know it may not necessarily be worth something but for a long time you know when we talk about cryptocurrencies and you talk about a world where you could have multiple multiple cryptocurrencies in the same way that you have multiple fiat currencies today that interact with each other, whether it be using it through something like Boston Sports or Bitcoin as a store of value or Ethereum or DeFi or, you know, a, a, some sort of beer coin where, you know, you, you, you can you can use it to get discounts on beer within smaller ecosystems. And the, the, the thing that really brings it all together is the, the ability for it to interoperate, to have you know, background exchanges that can, you know, do swaps um, and make it, make everything sort of talk to each other bridges between cryptocurrencies and fiat money. I, I just, I'm just, it's, it's kind of, we're at this point in the world after where we've had sort of two significant, you know, economic crises in the last, uh, you know, 12 years and with cryptocurrency technology the way the, the economies are sort of at, at the moment, the way the central banks have behaved and, and are operating, the way the stock market's going. It, it, we're in this kind of weird, crazy world where I think what comes in the next 10 years, 20 years time, 
you know, it's, it's the known unknown, really. Something big is happening and there's a lot of change taking place. Just exactly what that ends up like, it's very hard to say, but there's a lot of horses in the race. Yeah, there certainly are an awful lot of those. I mean, looking forward from here, um, it is interesting that uh, the arrival of Portnoy as uh, this guy, sort of this missionary figure almost. Or the, doyen of day right. trading. <laughs> right, I mean, he's like a, but you know, he's, he's become, he's more than just a celebrity in a way. I mean, because people are, it's not just that people are, uh, looking at him is that people are actually putting money in his recommendation in whatever he trades, even though he says, don't take my financial advice. You know, there, are, there are a lot of people out there threw a lot of money at the, uh, at the stocks that he, he picks, right? So he's more than a celebrity. There was something that someone uh, mentioned on Twitter, uh, funnily enough, uh, where, which I think really does hold true, which is that in the future, you know, 50 years from now, whatever history books look like at that point, yeah. um, you know, when people look up this bull market, they're going to see that guy's face. I mean, he, he's becoming <laughs> front and center of making lots and lots of money from uh, this post-lockdown boom. Like, they're going to see Dave Portnoy as as that guy. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what impact he then has uh, sort of further on than that uh, within, within the broader crypto space. Now, the Winklevi have got their, have got their uh, hands onto it. Now, we are uh, running a little late in terms of time, Sam. Uh, in terms of uh, your rating for your second beer, what would you give for that? Yeah, look, I, I've, I've, I've struggled a bit with this one. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the greatest IPA I've, uh, I've had. I don't know whether that's a byproduct of the... I don't think it's the alcohol percentage on it. I, it's, just, uh, it's just, I don't know, I just can't quite put my finger on, on what it is exactly that that I'm not 100% sure on it. So again, the hops in this, Citra, Meridian, Idaho 7. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm not familiar with all of those apart from Citra, which is in a lot. Um, yeah, it's, I can't quite, it's a, it's a known unknown. I mean, it's drinkable. It's okay. I wouldn't have loads of it. But I, I'm just not that, that thrilled by it. I think I'm just going to have to give this an A+, because I just can't quite describe why I don't like it. And there's just not enough things to suggest that I do like it. Hmm. That's an interesting, interesting verdict on that one. Uh, I must say for this one, the what are your overheads? Uh, it's gotten a lot heavier since I began it. And this is, uh, this is not only something that would, you know, that's uh, opaque as hell. I mean, it's, I mean, this thing really looks like custard in a way. <laughs> it's really dark in, in the center effectively. Um, but it is, it's still pretty good and it doesn't taste does not taste that 8.5%, that's for sure. Um, I think all of the amount of hops that's going on in it is um, it's, uh, really, uh, I think that's maybe one of the reasons why it's got quite a deceptive, uh, kind of a deceptive flavor. Overall, um, it's, not, it's not bad by any measure. I think, I, I think I'm going to give this a B minus, B minus for this one. B minus recorded. <laughs> oh, very good. No, uh, Sam, we've we've, we've still not we've still not had anything get to a triple B, by the way. Yeah, we've not had anything go to a triple A either, which is just as exciting, I would say. That is that is very true. You know, when are we going to come across this absolutely, uh, well, absolutely gorgeous beer, and when are we going to come across this absolutely disgusting beer? 
I mean, I'm oh, I'm yeah. almost as excited for By the both. Uh, yeah. as the former. I think I think we've got to be. I I have a feeling in this next batch that we've got uh, that, that there's going to be. I think I feel like there's something special in there. I mean, we've oh. had the one the one beer that got closest was the Dodo. I can't remember when we did the Dodo, but that oh, was yeah. the du- no, that was a double B double B plus from both of us. Yeah, it wasn't uh, good. Which was that's that, that's up there, and uh, the Hop Rocket we both gave a double A to, so that was that was down there. So we I feel like we're close. Maybe maybe I feel like in the next couple of episodes we might just strike gold. Well, maybe maybe, but we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and then find out. Uh, but uh, we must also, uh, you know, it was uh, great to see that, uh, you know, the, the individual who won our last competition received his, uh, his case of beer. He it did. Was, uh, it was good to see that, uh, you know, this, were, this, all, uh, this all was going to a, to a happy listener. We should do another one of these in the future. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll, think, we'll think of, uh, I think we'll think of another, another kind of competition or another kind of uh, uh, trial that we can do. Uh, for for those of us listening, but Sam, predict think, the gold price in two weeks' time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, pre- predict the uh, predict the link price in two weeks. I yeah, think be closest two. to the pin wins. <laughs> yeah. that's not a competition, by the way. That's just an idea. <laughs> quite, quite. But I think that uh, sums up uh, the the Triple B podcast for this week. It has been ten episodes now. It doesn't seem quite <sighs> strange uh, now that you think about it. Um, but, that, but that's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening. If you are listening, hope you have a good weekend and we shall be back with you next week.